All right, so this is, like uh, Brian said, uh, John chapter 4 and uh, part 2 of a sermon called Spring Up, Oh Well. Like he said, next week we'll be doing a special message uh, and update. It's really important that you tune in live because you don't want to um, hear that third person later because you really need to hear the story of what's happening and discern the heart of God in that. Um, and then we will be back after that into our verse-by-verse study through the book of Ephesians. And uh, by the way, I, I've obviously been preaching way more than normal. I think this is week 10 or 11 in a row, which I'm almost dead from, by the way. Uh, but we'll back in our regular rotated, rotation of uh, team teaching then as well. Like he said, this is our last sermon in this series, Such a Time as This. Guys, it is our prayer that this season and even today's sermon um, would help us to embrace the moment, such a time as this, even like Esther, from whom we got that phrase, that our church in the same way would respond to this unique moment in history that God has placed us in. We've been looking at John 4 for the last several weeks. Uh, We're going to finish up in John 4 today. My goal is to share some kind of final exhortations from this whole series. I I really sense the father just saying like, like he sits around at the table with his kids and he's like, can I tell you guys what I did today? And you're like, yeah, father, tell us. And he's like, this is what I was doing in my kingdom. And then he's like, I'm going to do some of this tomorrow. Do you want to join me? That's kind of the invitation I feel from God. I pray that we would receive that today. I'd like to start by just looking at verses uh, 35 through 38 in John chapter 4. So in John chapter 4, you know, Jesus is bringing revival to Samaria, right? And it's starting with this woman at the well. And uh, he's going to offer her living water, and then she's going to receive it eventually. And then that living water is going to spring up in her like he said it would. And it's going to spill out into her community as she goes and shares who Jesus is and Uh, what he's doing, and uh, many are going to be saved. And the disciples, as we've mentioned many times, are missing it all. They come back and they're like, dude, I don't even get it. Uh, Which is illustrated by what Jesus says to them in verse 35. Don't you have a saying? It's four months until harvest. I tell you, open your eyes and look at the fields. They are ripe for harvest right now. They couldn't see it. Even now, the one who reaps draws a wage and a harvest and harvest a crop for eternal life so that the sower and the reaper may be glad together. A um, couple short things I want to point out um, before we move on. First of all, Jesus says the time is now. We've talked a lot about that. It may not look like it, but um, he can be moving even when we are not recognizing it because we don't have eyes to see that maybe he's doing something a little different like he was in Samaria. Second, there's a blessing for the one who joins in with what God is doing. For the kid who says, yeah, Father, I want to go. Uh, it says, he who reaps receives a wage. He's not talking about material money. In fact, the disciples would give up a lot of that. But don't be discouraged, you who follow God and want to partner in his kingdom. There is a, a, a wage that is better than material possessions, better than wealth that you will receive for that kingdom work. And then the third thing we see just right here is that the work's going to be fun. I love this. It says, they will be glad together. The, the, the word in the Greek means literally just like happy, like rejoicing. They're going to be like, woohoo! Like Christmas time when you're opening up the presents. That's what reaping is like. Often when revival comes, it is uh, in a time of like turmoil, and that's real. 
But what I love about this is even though it may be turmoil, even though it may be hard work, even though it may be stretching like it was for the disciples to get their heads around, like, wait, Samaria, Jesus? That there is rejoicing in it, that it is also really fun and it's together like, hey, what? God's bringing people into his kingdom. Verse 38, thus the saying, one sows and another reaps is true. I sent you to reap what you have not worked for. Wow. Others have done the hard work, and you have reaped the benefits of their labor. So John the Baptist would sow seeds. Jesus himself would sow seeds. But after Pentecost, the disciples are the ones who would actually reap this spiritual harvest in places like Samaria, where they had not sown. This is usually the case with salvation and revival. You may sow seeds, even water seeds, that you don't get to actually reap uh, the harvest from. On the other hand, if you reap somewhere, right, and like you see somebody come to salvation and get to lead them maybe to Jesus, it's most likely um, that someone else has actually sowed and watered there. And at the end of the day, like Paul said in 1 Corinthians 3, you know what? Here's what matters. I, I planted, Paulus watered, but God gave the increase. So there was a spiritual harvest coming and Jesus was setting the disciples up for it and inviting them into it. In any given generation, there may be some kind of spiritual harvest. It's what we've been praying for even in Ventura and honestly just in faith believing since the beginning of last year that 2020 was about that. I guess the question is, as we sit at the table and look at the Father, how, if at all, will we participate? How will we, if at all, respond to that invitation? As Jesus said, the workers are few. The people who say yes to that invitation are, are few. So pray for the Lord of the harvest, the Father, to send out workers into his field. He was talking about them then, and he was talking about us. So that's the question for me as followers of Jesus who are living in this unique moment in history. How could we respond to that invitation from the Father to participate? Uh, we've talked about a lot of the ways that we can do that over the course of this series. And we've talked about like the, the role that musical worship plays and prayer plays and, and studying, meditating on and responding to scripture plays and recognizing moments and even the practice of lament, what that can often play. We've talked about so many things, but right here and now, I just want to share seven final and some of them even recapping ways that we can respond and participate in the spiritual harvest around us. If you haven't heard the previous sermons, I would encourage you to um, listen to those. Again, this is not an exhaustive list, but I think these are seven things God has for us today. This is how we can participate and respond to that invitation to participate in the springing up of the well inside of us. Last week was part one where we just talked about the water, right? I used the acrostic Spring, S-P-R-I-N-G, to answer the questions, what is the living water, where is it flowing, and what is it for? Today, I would like to use the acrostic of the rest of that phrase, up-o-well, U-P-O-W-E-L-L, in order to try to answer this question, yes, how can we respond and participate in bringing life-giving water to a spiritually dry and weary land, like the one that we're living in right now? The first way is for the first way we can respond to that invitation and participate is to stay under the fount. You is for under the fount. Under the fountain of God. John 7 tells us that 
the living water that Jesus is speaking of is the Holy Spirit. Talked in depth last week about our desperate need to be full continually with the Holy Spirit. Because trying to live the Christian life and certainly trying to bear spiritual fruit and partner with God without the power of the Spirit is like trying to drive a car without an engine. You might get there, man, but you're going to be exhausted and it's going to be really slow. Jesus told the disciples in Acts 1.8, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. God offers us continual living water. And if we are to bear fruit, we must be full of his Spirit. Ephesians 5.18 says, Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. In the Greek, this uh, word filled, um, it's, it's, first of all, it's a command. Second of all, it's something that happens to you, so it happens from an outside source. But third of all, it's in the present tense, which means it's literally saying, you continually be being filled with the Holy Spirit that comes from something outside or someone outside of you. But there's this command there, which implies that we have like some responsibility in participating. And he's like saying, you do this. So how do we participate in this? I'm not going to go into depth. I went into depth in another sermon uh, during our Holy Spirit series about uh, called being filled with the Spirit. You can check that out at this link, realityventura.com slash sermons, search for Holy Spirit. But in short, we participate in being continually full of the Spirit by humbling ourselves, surrendering, and asking. I go into depth why those three things. But one of my most regular prayers is, Lord, fill me afresh with your Holy Spirit. I need you right now. I want to follow you and obey you and participate in what you're doing. I need you, God. Humility, I need you. Surrender. I, I want to follow you. I want to do asking. That's what Jesus said to do. I love how Isaiah 58 talks about this, what happens as a result in this living water and as it pertains to God, God's people. It says, and the Lord will guide you continually, giving you water when you are dry and restoring your strength. You will be like a well-watered garden, like an ever-flowing spring. And some of you will rebuild the deserted ruins of your cities. Then you will be known as the repairer of the walls and a restorer of homes. Commenting on this verse, our own Kelly Amico wrote this recently. She said, it doesn't matter the situation. Jesus promises that his people will be fruitful and productive. He will guide them, meet their needs, and strengthen them. No matter how sun-scorched, dry, dusty, hard, difficult, or life-threatening the situation currently is, as you and I tap into the fresh, life-giving water that Jesus provides for us, the promise is that we will not dry up or run out. There is no famine or drought in God's kingdom. The living water never runs dry. It's available to you and me 24-7, and it will refresh, revitalize, renew, replenish, and produce a fruitful harvest if we don't give up, see Galatians 6, 9. So dig deep, tap into this never-ending source of abundant life, energy, and strength available to you. Drink deeply, drink lavishly, drink up and grow into a beautiful garden producing much fruit, and then 
some of us, verse 12, will be used by God to join him in the rebuilding of the deserted, deserted ruins of our cities and will be known as the rebuilder of the walls and restorer of homes. The P in this acrostic is for proclaim the good news. In Acts 2, after the Holy Spirit comes upon those 120 disciples, Peter, immediately full of the Holy Spirit, begins to preach, proclaim the good news of Jesus. There is this inescapable connection between being full of the Spirit and proclaiming what Christ has done. This is part of the spring it up. Oh, well, that the Father invites us into, like, hey, come on. Come tell people about my goodness and my hope and my life. This is what happens with the woman at the well, right? John 4, verses 28 and 29. Then leaving her water jar, we talked about that in depth before, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, come see a man who told me everything I ever did. She's testifying. Could this be the Messiah? Verse 39. Many of the Samaritans from that town believed in Jesus because of the woman's testimony. Come and see a man who told me everything I ever did. I think there's so much tied up in that little tiny proclamation. It's like, guys, Jesus knows everything about my filthy life. And the implication is, and he loves me. She was just speaking her story. And we've all got a story. It might not be as colorful as hers. It might be more colorful. Paul the Apostle's story was like he was set free from not this kind of stuff. He was set free from like really cold religion and legalistic perfectionism. We've all been set free from something. And we've all got a story of how Jesus changed our lives. What we see here is that there is power in the proclamation of that story. And I think you need to hear today, it's important to note that this woman didn't go to seminary or church before she shared her testimony. She had no experience. She had no training. She didn't even have influence or respect, which was like, well, I don't have a voice with those people. This woman was shunned by her community. That's why she went to the well in the middle of the day at noon when she could be sure nobody else would be there. She had zero respect or influence. But this is what God does through us, right? Think of what you were when you were called, Paul said to the church in Corinth. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential. Not many were of noble birth, but God chose the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. Her community didn't listen to her because she was wise well-spoken or influential. They listened to her because there was power in the good news that she was sharing about Jesus, which is Paul's, what Paul said in Romans 1.16. I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. The power is in the word. The power is in the good news. You just got to open your mouth and speak it. That's all that this woman did. So do not underestimate the power of simply proclaiming the good news of how Jesus changed and is changing your life. Number three, the O in uh, spring up, O, well, is for open your eyes. How do we participate in this harvest? How do we say, yeah, Father, like I want to join in with that? Well, Jesus told the disciples, part of it is uh, John 4, 35. I tell you, open your eyes 
and look at the fields. They are ripe for harvest. You cannot participate in that which you cannot see. The woman in John 4 could not participate in what Jesus was doing because she didn't recognize. That's what the word literally means. She couldn't recognize who Jesus was and the gift that God had for her. The disciples weren't participating yet because their eyes were not opened to see something that was outside of their little box that they had put God in. In the season, man, I've so often been praying like, God, I I don't want to miss what you're doing. I believe that there is a divine moment happening right now, and I don't want to miss any of it. If I'm missing it because my eyes are closed or my vision is narrow, please open my eyes, Lord. Number four, the W in spring up a well is for walk by faith. W is for walk by faith. 2 Corinthians 5, 7, we know the verse. We walk by faith, not by sight. This is what the Christian does. So we use our spiritual eyes, he's saying, from the last point, and we walk by faith, which is the opposite of using earthly eyes to walk by sight. I imagine that it took some serious faith for this woman to go back to her community when her reputation had been totally wrecked because of her sin and speak to the same people who had shunned her and who she was hiding from. I imagine it took Peter some crazy faith to stand up and preach the gospel to thousands of people knowing that he was not qualified to do so. This is really what Jesus did for us. He like came over borders He came into our lives. He came to a people who had shunned him, who would not receive him, proclaiming the good news. And he invites us to do the same, but it will often require faith. 23 years walking with Jesus, I thought I had like uh, passed that class. And the Lord was like, you can take other classes now, but apparently this is a lifelong class. I'm still being asked to do this in so many seasons of my life. A couple women in our uh, congregation, I just want to, share how this can play out sometimes, like, practically. Uh, they just started last few weeks, like, sensing that God was asking them to go outside in public, like, into downtown Ventura and just evangelize and pray for people in downtown Ventura. Neither of them uh, uniquely qualified by any means for this. One of them, single woman in her 20s, the other one in her late 30s with some kids. But they stepped out and just did it last week. And their goal was so simple. It wasn't like, we're going to see a bunch of people saved, although that would have been awesome. I love this. Their goal was humble, faith-filled obedience. That is what God asks of us. Jesus did whatever the Father asked him to do. He just obeyed. Listen, we can't control what happens on the other side of our obedience and our faithfulness. We can't control salvation. Salvation's of God alone. Our job is to be faithfully obedient. Because it is required in stewards that one be found faithful. That's what is required of us. It's not our job to produce results in the kingdom. That's hard for some of us to hear. That sounds like heresy to some of you guys. But it is not our job to produce results in the kingdom. Jesus didn't say, bear fruit. He said, abide in me and you will bear fruit. It starts with the abiding 
Our job is to faithfully stay connected to what he's doing and faithful and be faithful in uh, uh, partnering with him and saying, yeah, I want to I I join in with what you're doing. I want to obey what you're calling me to. I want to be faithful of what you put inside of me. And then I want to be faithful to respond to what you're asking me to do with that. That's it. And then he brings the results or not. My question for you is, friend, is there like something that maybe God's been stirring in your heart? Like that little, that thing, like we're just going to go downtown. I don't know what's going to happen. We're just going to go downtown. We're just going to pray for people. Is there something God's been stirring in your heart to participate in advancing his kingdom? Right? I'm talking about that. Is Jesus inviting you into something? Can I just encourage you to step into that, man? Step out of the boat if that's what it feels like and onto those waters because that's where Jesus is. Right? Next, part of what it means to participate in God's kingdom harvest and say yes to that invitation of the Father at the dinner table is the E, number five, to employ what you have been given. I think sometimes we don't realize that the Father has like given us crazy power and authority. You have Katie read it. Oh my gosh, that passage was so good. That passage she read. That power that she spoke of, that rose Christ from the dead and seated him in authority, that power lives in you. That's some crazy power. Sometimes in an effort to make sure that God gets all the glory and that we make sure we know where the source of the power is, we almost castrate ourselves and diminish the authority that he has given us. Listen, humility is not devaluing our authority and power, but recognizing the source of it. There is a way to both recognize where the source of the power comes from, that's humility, and to fully embrace and employ that power. We love this verse, Ephesians 3.20. Some of us get tattoos of this, right? God is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above all that we can ask or think. And then that's where we stop. We feel safe right there. We're like, God can do crazy things. But that's not where the verse stops. It says he's able to do this according to the power that is at work within us. God is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we can ask or think according to the power that is at work within us. But it's not enough for us to just agree with that. It's not enough for us to just sit at the table and be like, yeah, Father, that's awesome that you're doing that. But I'm going to stay home. We have to say, yeah, I want to go with you. I want to, like, use the tools that you've given me. I want to use that authority and that power that you've given me. We've got to employ it. This is part of, I think, what it means to walk by faith is stepping into who you are in Christ, even though, and especially when, that means doing something that is exceedingly abundantly above your logic and comprehension what you can think. Most of us, you know, I think receive in life without a second thought as to how we might give what we have received. Like we we do this in life too, right? Like we receive a lump sum of money or a new influential position at a job and rarely do we think like, whoa, how can I like use this to bless others? Well, we do that same thing in the kingdom. We like have received the living water but we don't always like think, and, and how can this like flow out of me? We received the authority from the Father. We received his name, being in his family, sitting around his dinner table. But, but we rarely think like, how does the Father now want to use this for others in his kingdom? 
It ought not to be so, though, because in the kingdom of God, everything that is received is meant to be given. In fact, the quickest way to dry up spiritually is to be like the Dead Sea. The Dead Sea is dead because it has an intake, receives, but it doesn't pour anything out. Speaking of living water, Jesus said, John 7, whoever believes in me, as scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from. There is a like uh, emotion in that, a from within them. This is the reason that Esther's cousin wrote to her in Esther 4 when he was like, hey, God's blessed you to be queen in this place where we are in exile. But that's not just for you, Esther. It's bigger than you. God has put you there to deliver your people. So speak up, Esther. Say something about it. Do something about it. For if you remain silent at this time, Esther 4.14, relief and deliverance for the Jews will arise from another place. But you and your father's house will perish. And who knows but that you have come to your royal position for such a time as this. The spring of living water is in you, church. The gospel is in you. The kingdom is in you. And it's for such a time as this. Don't don't keep silent about it. Listen, God's going to do what he's going to do. That's, that's even what Mordecai said right here. He's like, yeah, God's going to do. He's going to deliver his people. God's going to save who he's going to save. If God's bringing revival, you're not going to stop him. Okay? There's nothing you can do to stop that. He's going to bring it. And he can use a donkey to preach to those people downtown. He's done it before. However, he would prefer to use his children. He says to his children at the dinner table, you want to go? And they're like, no. He's like, all right, I'll take the dog. Right? I'll use the dog to speak to these people. But I want to use you. Number six, the L is for led by the Spirit and the Word. In Luke 4, 1, we see that Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. In Psalm 119, 105, we see that the Word is a lamp. It leads us. It's a lamp under our feet, light into our path. Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. But then in the wilderness, it was the Word that led his thinking to combat the lies of the devil. Now, Jesus only did and said what the Father told him to do and say, and he only did uh, what the Father's will was. So then listen, Jesus being led by the Spirit and led by the Word meant that he was saying, I want to do the will of the Father. Because the Word of God... defines for us God's heart and his will. The spirit leads us into that, how that plays out uh, practically. And so as he was led by the spirit, he was saying, I want to I want to obey your will, Father. And so there is this clear testimony of scripture that your father wants to lead you by his spirit and his word in order to do his will in general and in specific situations. Right now, I think that he's wanting to lead us by his spirit Lining up with the heart of his word in a specific situations. Well, how do I know if he's leading me, Dom? Well, when it comes to the principles of scripture, it's pretty easy. You read it in the Bible, go do it. But that specific leading of the spirit, like we see in the book of Acts, unfortunately, it's a lot more vague. The good news is we see the spirit leading us. The bad news is we don't see exactly how this happens in the Bible. So can it be an audible voice? Sure. A thought, an impression, a feeling, a vision, a dream, 
Yeah, absolutely. We see that stuff in Scripture. Could it be practical circumstances just changing? Yeah, absolutely. We see that in Scripture. Can it come directly through his word, like prophetic leading through his word? Absolutely. Will it look the same for all of us? Probably not. When I look at Acts 8, Acts 10, Acts 11, 13, 16, 20, as the Spirit is leading in all these different ways, it's almost always different But that specific leading of the Spirit will always line up with the heart of God as found in Scripture and sometimes comes straight from Scripture. This is mine and Emily's story of God speaking to us prophetically through his word to come to the coastlands. You probably heard that story. I'm going to share some of it next week. I said two weeks ago, but Spirit and truth work together. The Holy Spirit and truth work together. Sometimes people place the Holy Spirit and God's word in like opposition to one another. But it's not like Holy Spirit or Bible, okay? Uh, I said it two weeks ago, but the Holy Spirit is like the wind in our sails. The rudder is like, the uh, scripture is like rudder that keeps us on track and on the right path. The two work together. There's no power without the Spirit, and there is no plumb line without the Word. In the book of Acts, sometimes the Spirit would begin leading his people to do something, and then they'd be like, oh, just like what the scriptures say, right? Right, the two work in tandem. The salient point here is that God does want to lead us and knows how to speak to each of us if we are willing to listen and obey. Guys, if you're not willing to listen and obey, I don't know that you should expect to hear from God because the reason he speaks to us is so that we will listen and obey. Our expectation of God leading us and speaking to us I believe, must be accompanied by surrender and a willingness to obey. When I look at the early church, this was one of the defining factors, surrender and an actual willingness to obey. Lastly, number seven, the last L, and spring up a well. The L is for let go of distractions. In a sermon called Recognizing Revival Moments, part two, I shared how the woman at the well couldn't recognize what God was doing, who Jesus was, and the disciples couldn't see what he was doing, possibly because both groups were distracted. In Luke 10, Jesus is at the house of Martha, the sister of Lazarus. Martha's working hard to prepare everything, but her sister, not so. Luke 10, 39, she, Martha, had a sister called Mary, who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. But Martha was... What's happening? Martha was distracted, like my microphone going out right now, devil trying to distract people, (laughs) but Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. So she came to him, Jesus, and she asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do all the work by myself? Tell her to stop me, or just stop, to help me, I'm sorry, tell her to help me. Listen to what Jesus says. Martha, Martha, the Lord answered, you are worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed, or indeed only one. Mary has chosen what is better. Sometimes it appears that we can get so distracted, even by things that seem worthwhile, like working for the Lord, that we can miss the best thing, saying, I want you to be right here with me. Jesus is the greatest treasure. And when the father says, like, come on, kids, he's not like, go do some stuff and work hard for me and come back and give me the, he's like, I'm going, come with me. 
Stay with me. Stay with me. Jesus is the greatest treasure. Sitting at his feet and obeying his word is the greatest joy. That is the best thing. But we're so distracted. I'll end with this. As a staff, uh, this has been a really complicated season. So trying to lead and discern what God is doing in this season has been really difficult. We obviously had basic principles in scripture, but like the moment-to-moment stuff, we really need God to speak to us. One of the ways that God speaks we see in scripture is through dreams. And so we've just been asking the Lord, like, Lord, give us dreams. (laughs) Give us like specific dreams to tell us what to do or share with us what's going on. One of our staff members had this dream last week. It was on her birthday. I told her, Joel 2 says that old people dream dreams. I think you turned old today. But... uh, (laughs) <laughs> she had this dream, and in the dream, there was a, a meeting here at church. It was, it was you guys. It was us. It was staff and our church people and leaders at our church and all of that. And afterwards, a bunch of those people were outside in the parking lot. And in the dream, several, like seven, six or seven different people were highlighted in the dream. And each of those people represented a different distraction that is in the church, maybe in our church right now. And so there was this one person who represented this crew that was just all about community and like Christian community and relationships. That was their main focus. Another crew was all about health-related stuff. It was like, how can I like fix what's going on in my body and be the healthiest possible and figure out this like natural way to do it? That was their main focus. Another crew was all about outward appearances, both physically and in life, just like the appearance of things. And how, how can I set up my life to, to, for everything appears good? My body it looks good. It's healthy, all of that. My life looks good. And then there was this crew that was just somebody, you know, there's a person who represented a crew that was just super busy, like going from one thing to going to this person. I got to go do that. I got to do this. And there's in the, the parking lot, just moving from thing to thing, just so distracted by busyness. And the last person was consumed with a consumer mindset. Like, how can I buy and sell things? And how can I make a profit in my business endeavors and, and make money? It wasn't necessarily greed. It was like business endeavors. And, and even at, at church, how can I set it up so that I'm getting everything that I need? It was a very consumeristic mindset. This was their total focus. While this was all happening, in the distance, in the dirt, not in the distance, it was close to all these people, like at their feet in the dirt, Kelly looked over in her dream and she saw these two brilliantly shining silver keys and they were there in the dirt and she walked over to them and she was like, oh my gosh, these are amazing. Whose keys are these? And she picks them up and she's like, hey, whose keys are these? And everyone looked and they were like, and they went back to all of their distracted stuff and the Lord said to her, those are the keys of my kingdom. Those are the keys to my kingdom. But people are so distracted, though, they can't even tell that the keys to my kingdom are right at their feet. Jesus said to Peter in Matthew 16, 19, I will give you the keys to the kingdom of heaven. He wasn't just talking about giving Peter the keys because uh, Jesus repeats himself and uses the, the plural form of the word you, which means you and me. And us, he has given us the keys of the kingdom of heaven. They're keys. That means they unlock something. What do they unlock? They unlock the kingdom. 
And when you read this in light of Luke eleven fifty two, where Jesus says a similar thing, you begin to understand that the keys that Jesus is talking about have to do with knowledge. Knowledge of what? Knowledge of the profession that Peter just made in verse 15, right before Jesus said this. He said, who do you say I am? A few verses earlier. Here it is. You are the Messiah, the son of the living God. That is the knowledge. That is the keys. That knowledge is the keys. And the way that we employ that knowledge is, and put it to use is to speak that knowledge or to sing it or to sign language it or to write it. That is how we use the keys to unlock the kingdom for people. Esther, do not stay quiet. This is the kind of power and authority that Jesus has given us. When the true followers of Jesus proclaim who he is, we unlock the kingdom to people. The problem is we're so distracted by so many things, many of them fine things, that we don't even realize that the keys are lying on the ground right next to us. Perhaps for Esther, the blessing, provision, and favor of God had actually become the distraction from the power and authority that God had given her for such a time as this. It's so easy to allow good things to become the supreme thing, for good gifts to distract us from utilizing what God has given us. Church, our Father loves us. He's sitting at the table with us today and in this season. And he's like, come on, come on, come close. Did I tell you what I did today? Listen. This person was healed. This, this woman, she was full of shame. I set her free. This homeless man, he got life. He was delivered from that. This person was delivered from this addiction. This person found hope in me. They were looking for it in money. They found it in me. He's telling the story of what he's doing in his kingdom. And it's like, oh, Lord, we love stories. We love stories. We want to hear missionary stories. We love stories. And we're like, yeah, Lord. And then he's like, tomorrow I'm going to do some more of that. And you're like, that's awesome, Lord. And then he's like, you want to come with me? And we're like, ooh. But like, what about my health that I'm focusing on right now? What about my business endeavors that I'm focusing on right now? What about that thing that you gave me? What about like that thing? What about this new project that I have? What about this? What about my financial situation? What about? And he's like, all right, well, I'll be over here working if you want to join me. Today, he invites us guys to step into that. And it's a gift, man. It's good. It's good. It's the best. He's not asking you to go do something for him. He's inviting you in to participate with him. Amen. Let's pray. So, Lord, as we conclude this uh, series, one of the themes throughout it all has been, oh, wow, God is moving in the middle of this. He is at work right now. If you're going to bring revival, it's not going to be in spite of what's happening. You work in the middle of what is happening. And we want to have eyes to see, ears to hear it, and hearts that say, I want to come. (laughs) Sounds amazing. I don't want to sit here on my video game and distracted with my projects and my work and 
my plans of setting up my wonderful American dream, comfortable life. Gosh, I don't want to be distracted by that. Yeah, Father, I want to go. If that's you today, just say it out loud. Say, yeah, Father, I want to go. Just see yourself at that, at that dinner table. Say, yeah, yeah, Father, I want to go. And if you find yourself wrestling, like the, the man who Jesus told, the rich young ruler, you say, well, what else? I've done all those things. I've required it all. And he's like, just one thing less. Sell all of your possessions. And give them to the poor. And he turned around and he left. He was like, I can't do that. If you find yourself there today, Say it out loud to the Lord. Speak it to him. He loves you, child. He loves you. Say to him, God, I, I'm, I'm afraid to do that. That sounds uncomfortable, whatever your like thing is. Just speak it. Confess it. Say, I don't want to be there, but this is where I'm at, Lord. Just tell him. Invite your father into that process today. If you need help with that, we would love to pray for you. There's a little link in the YouTube description where you can ask for prayer. If you're tuning in and you don't know this Jesus, you don't know this Father who runs this kingdom, and you want to know him, you need to know that Jesus loves you. He gave his life for you on the cross to remove your sins that were separating you from the Father. And today he wants to bring you into relationship. We would love to tell you more about him or pray with you. Or right where you're at, you could say, Lord, I need you. Please forgive me of my sins. I believe you died and rose from the dead. My life is yours. I want to follow you and participate in your kingdom. And then send us an email at that link. We'd love to talk with you. For the rest of us, man, let's respond now.